Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we've been in this series uh, called Lasting Impact. And it's, it's about what impact we're making in the world. Like every person has the ability to make an impact where you are. The fact of the matter is, is most of us go throughout life not thinking about the impacts that we're making on on people. But man, when we came into the kingdom of God, we, uh, we, we're empowered and we're given authority to go be his witnesses. And really that's what we're focusing on is about being witnesses. And we can be a good witness, a bad witness, or no witness. I don't even know if that's even possible because sometimes you're witnessing you don't even know it, you know? Like you'll, you'll have those people that'll come up to you and they'll say, you know, I've been watching you. And it's like, oh God, please, what, what's fixing to come after that? Like, I hope it's something good. And uh, to be completely transparent with you, I've had people to say good things. And then a few times uh, I've had them say some things that I wasn't proud of. And I'm like, wow, wow, I got to do better. But lasting impact, what kind of impact are we making and an impact that makes a a lasting impression on people everybody in this room has somebody that has impacted your life in a powerful way we've and and it can be good or bad we've had uh you know when when it's bad we call that trauma when it's good, we call it maybe a mentor or uh you know a life coach or you know a teacher. But every single one of us, I tell you what, I don't want to cause people trauma. I want to cause people to, to be the best that they can possibly be. And, you know, one of the greatest impacts that has ever been throughout history, I mean, you've got people, today we all talk about influencers. Who's the major influencers in our society, that kind of thing. That's not a new term. People have been influencing, you know, since the you know, time that man began. There are people, you know, I don't know who that guy was that created the wheel, who invented that. Man, he missed out on that patent, didn't he? Like, literally, that guy impacted the world. Just think of all the different things that we take for granted that people made such a huge impact. But there's only one person that has been the one who split time, our, you know, the timeline, just that no, nobody else holds that record. Nobody's got that trophy. Jesus alone is the one that has impacted us the most. And this day is about the greatest story that's ever been told. And everybody in here has a story that you have, uh, you either grew up where, you know, daddy told me a story. Like, you know, I love my daughter and son-in-law are here today. And Savannah, I reminisce a lot about her being a little kid. And she was so cute. She's beautiful now, but she is so cute when she was little. And she would say, daddy, tell me a story. And I would tell her a story and it'd be, you know, just whatever. And, uh, and then she'd be like, just one more. And I'd tell her another one and she's like, just one more. And I'm like, okay, this is the last one. And then there would be times in my life where 
uh, she would want me to make stories up for. Like, you know, she got tired of the three bears and all of those little stories. And she's like, Dad, make a story up for me. And uh, so I got into trouble so many times for telling those stories because I would, uh, you know, like, y'all know me, don't you? I'd, I'd get in trouble because I'd be like telling nightmare stories. And I'm like, I'm not trying to tell like scary stories. And then I would, uh, I would use voices because I was a children's pastor for many years and did ventriloquism and puppetry and all of that stuff. And so I'd tell s- stories. And uh, one time Savannah, my son, and uh, a couple of foster kids, that, uh, sons that we had, I'm telling them a story. And I don't know why, but I always got relegated story time. So we're, sta- we're sitting Indian style in the bedroom and I'm telling the story. And I said, <laughs> I started this story off and I'm like, once upon a time. And, and, and Noah, he's so cute. He's like six years old. And he, he's like, he said, Daddy, Daddy, don't tell it in the scary voice. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was a scary voice. You know, that was my mysterious voice. Um, but we all have stories that were told to us that we love to hear those stories over and over. And I remember when I would get together with my parents and, you know, all the old folk would get together and they'd be reminiscing and tell stories. And I remember saying, hey, daddy, daddy, tell that one about, have y'all ever heard that in your family? Like, daddy, tell that one, because that was my favorite story that he would tell. But it's not like the story of Jesus, because that impacted my life in a way that no other story has impacted my life. Those stories are make-believe, and some of those are legend, like, especially in my family, because I come from a lion bunch. I'm just going to be honest with you, you know. Like, you know, that fish wasn't that big, and you didn't kill that many, and it didn't take you th- those few shots to get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like, a lot of them were legend, but when it comes to the story of Jesus, like, that's truly the greatest story that we will ever hear. It may not be the greatest story that you'll ever receive. I want to say it again. It'll be the greatest story you'll ever hear. It may not be the greatest story that you will ever receive. But if you will receive it, it will be the greatest story that you've ever heard. See, I've heard this story so many times that if I'm not careful, it's a little boring to me. What? How can the crucifixion be boring? How can... How, how can... Um, The resurrection of our Lord be boring. Well, after you hear it umpteen times over nearly 40 years of being a Christian, you can become hardened and callous to the story. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. And that's why we do communion. So it brings us back to the roots of why we believe what we believe. Because this truly is the greatest story that we'll ever receive if we'll receive it. See, I remember when it was new to me. I remember that first time that I walked into a church, that I was there. You know, I I went a couple of times when I was a little bitty kid, but I was just raised in a very heathenistic uh, type family. You know, we were the party people on our block you know we had our our block and then another block over was my my mom and dad's best friends and so I we had the party house on my block and then a couple of blocks over they had the party house and I get that whole lifestyle I get that I grew up in that but we you know one of the things was that the party house two blocks away from us was right across the street from the church And that pastor came over there and he invited and pestered us and bugged us and 
pestered us and bugged us and, you know, and finally my parents just gave in. And I'm not going to go into that story very uh, much because I love to tell it because it impacted my life. That's why I tell people, hey, you know, invite people to church. Yeah, I've invited them three or four times. Invite them eight, nine, 10, 20 times. Because one day they may say yes, and one day something may happen. And listen, my parents did not go to church, and listen, they did not go to church that day going like, come on kids, we're all going to church, we're going to change our life, and God's going to make a difference in our world. You know what they went? They went... Uh, antagonistically, they went lethargically dragging their tails into church. They went reluctantly. They went somewhat in disbelief, probably. They walked in and they're going like, these people are berserk in this church. Because I didn't come into, you know, I didn't come into any of those churches that uh, the people are sitting down and they don't raise their hands. Or, I mean, like, raising their hands would have been, like, mild in the church that I walked into. I'm telling you, these people people were, it's like they were all on PCP or something. They were taking speed or something. Because when we walked in, it was going 90 to nothing. There were people running around the room. And I thought, oh my God, these, my parents are, got sucked into a cult or something. And it was just, it was 90 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, probably. And we walked into that place, and my sister and I, man, there were, uh, there were manifestations in the spirit, gifts of the spirit, that I understand now, but I didn't even know what it was then. It was gibberish and weird, and I heard tongues and interpretations of tongues. And, I, and my sister and I, we were on the back row, dude, we were speaking in tongues. We, I ain't even joking. We were making fun of that stuff. We were going to town and, and we, you know, we were so not involved that when, you know, I don't know what the pastor preached. I didn't care. I just wanted to get out of there. And somewhere along the lines, my parents, they're not doing what me and my hedonistic sister are doing. They are paying attention. And so it's time to go. Everybody stands up and I'm like, thank God, let's go. Well, I, I go out the door, and my parents don't follow us. So we come out of the aisle, and I'm like, yes, indeed. And my parents went the other way. I looked inside. I, I looked through that little window because I'm like, we're, my sister and I are the only ones out in the foyer. And so I look down front, and they've got their hands in the air. Now, that's weird to me because I don't know what that means. Normally, you're getting, you know, held up or mugged or something if you got your hands in the air. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had several of my brothers that I saw like this before, you know. So I get to a degree what was happening, but I didn't know what was going on. And so they came out, and it seemed like it took forever it probably only took a few minutes, but it seemed like it took forever. They come out, and I'm like, what were y'all in there? See, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those little kids. I wasn't super disrespectful because my parents wouldn't tolerate that. But I was asking some questions. Like, what took y'all so long? What were y'all doing down there? Like, what were y'all, you know, and they didn't stop and tell us. We get in the car. We go home. And I'm like, you know, I hope we don't ever go back to that place. I'm telling you, I was not into that. And my parents got radically saved that day. Radically saved. Radically saved. This is the deal. We go home. 
Later that afternoon, we have a family meeting. My dad calls a family meeting. Well, we don't even know what family meetings are at my house. Like, that's a change right there. We don't, we don't have a meeting. You just, you know, my mom's a dictator. You know, she's like, just walks in and tells you what's going to happen. And like, we're having this family meeting, and my dad tells me that they got saved. And I'm like, from what? Like, I don't know that language. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, well, Jesus came into our life. We're going to make some changes. And he said, you know, we're not going to drink anymore. We're not going to do these. And, and you have to understand, that's where they came into the faith. It was all about, at that point, you know, like, when you get saved, these are things you can't do anymore. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying... That's where we came into the faith where it was like lots of rules and regulations. And uh, that's, they said, we're not going to drink anymore. And so they go to the, I saw my dad go and pour hundreds of dollars worth of booze down the sink. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I know, like, y'all are going to think this is crazy. Y'all going to think I'm lying, but I'm not. I'm not exaggerating like my family now. I used to go buy liquor for my dad. Was it legal? Mm-mm. But old Jim down at the package store, he knew me. He knew my dad. My dad just slides me a you know, $10 bill, go in and get us a fifth of Seagram 7. I'd go in, you know, put it up there on the counter. I kid you not, that happened. I knew how much money in liquor we had. And I'm sitting here going, wow, because the scripture says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I knew if my dad is pouring the treasure down the drain, his heart ain't there anymore. His heart's not in that anymore. Guys, that day changed my life, even though I didn't get changed that day. See, I didn't get saved that day. I didn't get saved the next Sunday. I would lie when it came to uh, Sunday morning. I would say, oh, I can't go today. I'm sick. I'm sick. And my parents, you've heard me say this before. My parents said, well, we'll just take you down to the preacher and he'll lay hands on you and God's going to heal you. Because, see, they weren't so educated by the world that they, that they didn't believe the scripture said they, they believe whatever it said, that's what we could have. And they, they had been hearing about healing. And they're like, the preacher said we could have healing. It's in that book. And so if you're sick, you know, and I'm like, crap. You know, so that didn't work. Eventually, I got saved. I fell madly in love with Jesus. I began to listen, you know. You know, I began to listen. I began to, the story changed my life. And so here I am in front of you. Here I am, pastor of Destiny Church. Here I am, you know, 40 years later in the faith. I've, like, I'm serious. I've never walked away from the faith. Since I was saved, I have been a solid Christian the whole time. I, why am I telling you this? Because there was a man who told the story to my parents. I'm not trying to build me up. I'm saying the story changed my life. It's the greatest story that I've ever heard. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about the story. See, in this series, here's what we define impact because it's called lasting impact. And if you 
on that first screen I showed you, it's like, it's that uh, famous painting by, I think it was Michelangelo, uh, and it's where the hand of God is touching the hand of man. It's where we're coming into contact. And when you talk about impact, impact is when there's a, a, uh, an encounter, there's a, an impact. And so this is what impact means for us. It means an encounter that has a life-changing effect on another person's life. Oh, Brother Jolly, I wonder how many times he thought, I'm just going to walk across the street and invite these drunks to church. I'm just, they probably ain't going to take me up on it, but I promise you, it worked. It worked. He's in heaven now. One day I'm going to see him again. But he came into contact with my family, and it had a life-changing effect on my mama, on my daddy, on me, on two of my sisters, on one of my brothers. And it didn't even come through him, but it came through me years later because of the story that God told us. I want you to look at this. Here's the greatest contact, since we're talking about impact as a close encounter. It, the greatest contact with mankind was Jesus' incarnation. That's where we talk about in John chapter 14, where it says, and God himself became flesh and lived among man. That's the incarnation. That's the greatest contact that man will ever have. I know we're out there looking for alien life forms, and one day, you know, we might have a, a close encounter of a third or fourth or however many kinds there are. We've made movies about it, and we think about it, and if that happens one day, whoop-de-doo, but I'm telling you, the greatest contact that we've ever had beyond the natural is when God himself decided to come to this earth to clothe himself in flesh and provide himself as a sacrifice for you and me. That's the greatest contact that we've ever had. But look at this. Look at this. You know, when he came as that baby, his whole reason was, was to come to die. And this is the next part of that. The greatest impact on mankind was Jesus' death and resurrection. So the greatest contact was his incarnation, but the greatest impact was his death and resurrection. See, he could have come, he could have died, never sacrificed himself for us, and that wouldn't have been that big of a deal. It was that second part that makes this the greatest story that you and I will ever receive. The greatest story that you and I will ever receive. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read about eight verses right here. And Paul, he's, he's talking to the Corinthians, and he's reminding them of uh, what they've agreed to, basically. Like, what your first, first line of, of faith, where it began. And he says in verse one, let me now remind you. So they've already heard it, much like you and me. They've already heard this, but he's reminding them. He's jogging their memory, so to speak. Because if you go and you read Corinthians, that's a corrupt group of folks right there. I mean, if you wanted to go to a happening church, that's the place you wanted to be. There's a lot of, you know, shade going on right there. 
And so Paul, he, he probably wrote more to this church than any other church because they were always getting off base. You know, he wrote 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is what we call them. He just called it a letter. And there's a third one out there that we know, we don't know where it's at, but we know that he wrote a third letter, but it's lost somewhere. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you, stay, and you still stand firm in it. This is good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Let me just stop there for a second. I don't know of, of a whole lot of scriptures that say it more plainly than this. That it is possible for you and I to fall away from the faith. It is possible for you and I to fall away from the faith. Let's read it again, all right? He says, this is, verse two, this is the good news that saves you if, so this is an if then, if I continue to believe in the message that he told us of Jesus, his death and resurrection, then I remain saved. It's, it's really that simple. And he says, unless you possibly believe something that was just corrupt from the very first time that you heard it. And then he says this in verse three, I passed on to you what was the most important. All right, so the most important things about the faith are this church, listen to me. He said, I passed on to you what was the most important and what had been passed on to me. And here's the three things that are the most important. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So he says, just as the scriptures say in here, there's nothing in scripture that is by mistake. The reason he's saying that, he's reiterating to them, hey, remember, this isn't my word, it's the Holy Scripture, what they called, you know, uh, old, we call Old Testament, but that, that was the Scriptures that they had. He's saying, I didn't just come up with this on my own. I didn't just make it up. This is the Scripture. And he goes on talk to him a little more, and he says, oh, and by the way, this is the Scripture. It's not what I say. It's the Scripture. But he says, these are the three most important things. Dude, I'm telling you what, there are denominations on the planet today. I'm not anti-denomination, but I am certainly not for them either. I grew up in a denomination, but denominations separate. And we all have our little, you know, uh, little groups that we have. Listen, Pastor Wesley said it absolutely correct. The big C church, that's the global church. It's the church. And, you know, some of that's going to be in denominations, some of it's going to be in people that they never even step foot in buildings like this, but they meet in house churches. You know, that, the, the church is people. We, we get that. And we have so many denominations that basically have risen up because we can't agree on the things that aren't even important. Are you following me? 
He doesn't even, like there are denominations that have split over sanctification. Like when that happens, at what point? Who the heck cares? Like who cares it when, when that comes? But we've split into denominations over things like that. And Paul says, that's not even on the list. I mean, it is important, but it's not on the top three important things. We have denominations that have uh, split over spiritual gifts. That doesn't even make the list. Over Fruit of the Spirit doesn't even make the list. And they're super important. Like, they're so, what day of church you come to. Whether or not you got a video projector or you use smoke in your sanctuary so you can see the beams of light. None of that stuff matters. He's saying these are the three most important things. And if we can agree on these things, we are in the body of Christ. Number one, Jesus died for our sin. Jesus died for our sin. That's the only way sin will be covered. Jesus died for our sins. Number two, uh, he was buried. He was put in the grave. He didn't, you know, just take a nap. And there's all kind of theories out there that, well, he, did, he just really was unconscious. And they put him in the tomb. And when he regained his consciousness, no, the scripture is very clear that he died. Yeah. He died. Yeah. You know, if he didn't die, there's nothing supernatural about that. And Alan, you might as well be my savior. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it had to be supernatural. It had to be something that a man in and of himself could not do. And then the third thing was that not only did he die, not only was he buried, but he was raised again into new life. He came back to life. He came back to life. Well... That's a hard one to swallow. But we'll watch a Netflix documentary on some guy that came back to life. Our, we'll believe somebody's Facebook post on, I was dead for 30 minutes. You know, we'll share that mess all day long. Well, let me take that back because that might not be mess. That wasn't fair to say that because that could really happen. But... He was resurrected. He came back to life. And there's this, there's this part of scripture when it's talking about his death on that good Friday when he was hanging on the cross. There's this one part that for me this year as I'm studying this has stood out for me. And I didn't even realize that uh, in that uh, song that we were singing a while ago, it is finished, oh, oh. I, I didn't even realize that song went so well with this. When Jesus had tasted it, meaning the, the, the vinegar and water solution that they had given him to drink, when he had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave his spirit up. In other words, he bowed his head and he died. But he said, it is finished. See, here's one thing about going deeper into the scripture that I want to encourage you. And if you need some tools, if you need some websites, because you can get some crazy stuff out there on the web. Like you can be, you can be studying stuff and you can be studying the wrong stuff. Like, like Pete, uh, Paul said here, unless you believe something wrong the first time. Like you got to be careful and know what your sources are when you go to it. But I can give you some really great Greek lexicons. I can give you some really, see, I, I wasn't smart enough to take Greek in college. I ain't even going to lie to you. 
I couldn't take Greek in college. That was way beyond my, you know, payload up here. And so I got a BS degree in, uh, in you know, theology. Stop. Some of y'all are out there like, well, we knew that. But see, I, I knew, I knew, I like, I ain't gonna be able to pass Greek. I'm gonna bypass the BA. I'm gonna go straight to the BS. You know what I'm saying? I got that Bachelor of Science, folks. And, and I'm so glad because I look back at those guys who, you know, suffer from depression nowadays and they have split personalities and all of these things because of what they went through in Greek class. I'm like, I look back now and I go, see, I was smart enough to know that the internet was going to get invented and they were going to put all this stuff out there and we didn't need to do all of that. But there are, there are these places where you can go and study out the Greek and when you go deeper into the Greek and, and, and you get some of the, the, the root meaning and the deeper meanings of some of these things, you'll understand Scripture at a deeper level. I'm not saying I'm smart enough to do it, but people who are smart enough, uh, smarter than me have already done it, and I glean from their intelligence. And then you get to glean from what I've learned from them. And so I look at that and I'm like, wow, it is finished. That word just kind of jumps out at me. It's, it's finished. Well, it's done. He did the work, you know. But when Paul is writing this and when Jesus is speaking to the audience there. He knows that there are a lot there are a, a lot of Jews there. He knows there are a lot of Greeks there. He knows there are a lot of Romans there. And so uh, he doesn't use what we call Christianese sometimes. You know, like we will use words. And there's nothing wrong with Christianese. I know some people give Christianese a, a hard time. But like when we're in the church, we, we talk like people in the church. You know what I'm saying? You don't go to a ball game and they don't talk in ball language, do you? Like, I've, I've been to ball games and stuff and I'm like, what's a scrimmage? Like, what's this? What's that? And I don't know what these things are. And I'm like, I'm asking them. And, you know, what, what we do, we, we hold the church to a different standard than we hold the world. And the problem with us dumbing down Christianity is we think this service is for the unsaved. This is, this is not for the unsaved. Like church is for the saved folks. The unsaved are out there. They should be. Honestly, we shouldn't have unsaved people here. And when we have unsaved people here, which we will have, thank God, I was unsaved and I walked into a building. But when we're unsaved here, we hear a message and then we've got to do something with it. We either accept it or we either reject it. All right? But when we go into some arena, nobody's going to come in and say, listen, we got this guy up in row 15. You know, he doesn't, uh, he's clueless. He doesn't know anything about ball. And so we're going to have, we, we ain't going to be able to use any of those words. All right. And so you don't have, you don't have the referee or whoever's call it. Man, I'm going to mess this up. But I already prefaced it by saying I ain't a sports guy. But, you know, you don't, you don't have the guy out there that, that goes, um, you know, whatever, I'm going to throw this little wavy thing, hand, we'll call it a handkerchief, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to throw it down right there, all right? 
And what that means is, I, I really don't know what it means, so I can't tell you what it means. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. Why? Because I have come to a ball game. And if I'm ignorant about ball game, ball terminology, ball stuff, then I better pay attention and learn or ask some questions. But in the church, we do it so differently. Lord, I done got on a soapbox. Hmm. In the church, we do it so differently. It's like, uh, well, we're going to have to explain every little move, every little move. And it's like, listen, you can't explain everything that happens in church. You can't explain it all. You can't go into a deep study on the gifts of the Spirit when they start to operate. If, you, if, you, if that terrifies you or, or, or whatever, well, I don't know what to tell you about that. I don't know what to tell you about that. If, if talking about the blood of Jesus, if talking about the blood of Jesus freaks you out a little bit, well, I'm sorry. I think getting smeared when you kill your first deer, I, you know, that happened to me in the eighth grade. My daddy, he didn't, he didn't tell me what was happening. You know, slid it open, got blood, rubbing it all over my face. I'm like, what? What's happening? Is he fixing to sacrifice me or something? Like, I don't know what's happening. So when we look at the scripture, when we look at the scripture and we, we begin to study it out and get beyond a superficial level, like just, a, we're just, guys, we got to get beyond a superficial level in our relationship with God. We've got to go deeper if we want to know him deeper. So when we start really diving into this, I dove in to it is finished. And I want you to look at this word. This Greek word for finish, tetelestai, means this. It means to finish something. It means to complete it, to fulfill it, to pay off a debt, to execute an order, to cause to be full. Now, I, man, I'm telling you, this is fun to me. This excites me when I get to study in God's word like this. Tetelestai, when Jesus is on the cross using this term like it's finished. He could have used any kind of terminology that he wanted. He could have been hanging there and when he could have said something like the covenant is complete. He could have said something like I now introduce to you a new covenant. He could have he could have used all kinds of language, but he was speaking in the vernacular to the people that were watching him. See, when they were watching him, he knew that there were Greeks there. He knew that there were Romans there. He knew that, there, that this was a mixed culture. These, these, the, everybody there was not Jewish. You know, when Jesus died, Israel was not basically in charge of Israel. The Roman government, they were, they were being occupied by a foreign government. And he knew that there were so many different people there. And that, uh, you know, the, the, the church, uh, well, the church hadn't been established yet. But I'm talking about like maybe Judaism. It, it was like a, a, an oppressed, pressed down you know, because you guys are the ones that we came in to occupy. It's like when we go to Afghanistan or when we go to Iraq or when we go to another country and we are in charge of the government for a while, they are under our rule. And that's how, that's how they were. 
All right? And so when he's speaking, he's using their kind of language. And he says, listen, it's finished. It's finished. So in a story, at the end of every movie, normally, what does it say? The end. Like, hey, we've wrapped this up. It's finished. There's, there's nothing else after this. You can get up and you can go home. See, when Jesus, here's the crazy thing, man. When Jesus said this, there are people that at that point, they would have got up and walked out of the movie. They would have got up and walked out of the movie. But I don't know what they call them, but those little secret scenes at the end of the credits, you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, if you know that there's going to be some of those little secret scenes that they don't show in the movie, and it's going to give you a preview of something to come, there's many people when Jesus said, it is finished. At this part of the story, they're getting up so that they can get out to the parking lot, and they can go ahead and, and move on to the restaurant or whatever. I'm talking about on that day when he was crucified. There are people when he said, it is finished, they would have got up, and it's like, man, it's done. This is over over there's nothing else to come but I'm just telling you there are some little secret scenes that come after this if you just stick around for a little bit there's some secret scenes and it's Jesus being raised from the dead they thought it was finished but it really wasn't finished he rose from the dead just a few days later and that was our hope See, there's no hope in the cross if there's not a crucifixion or, or a resurrection he just died the end Nothing more. But see, we got the secret scenes. We know that he is resurrected. Not only is he resurrected, but for those who stuck around, they got that secret message. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking at me bewildered? Why are you standing here looking at me so strange? Take joy because the same way you see me leaving is the same way you're going to see me return one day. See, the people that left, the people that, uh, that, that already gave up because the end had already rolled on the credits, see, they they didn't get that. They missed that. But there were a select few of people that stuck around until the resurrection. When it says, uh, tetelestai, it's complete. It's complete. It's paid in full. I want to I show you a couple of things, three to be exact, three areas where tetelestai was used. This is, this is a, like, there are so many there are so many terms that we use in church, like koinonia, that's not a church phrase. You only know it as a church phrase because you weren't a part of first century uh, uh, church world. You, but, but that's koinonia, that, that's not a church word. That's, that's a, a Greek Roman culture word. The word apostle, that's not a church word. You and I know it as, as a church word, but that's only because you and I have been brought up in the faith. Apostle is, is actually a, um, a military term. It's like a, a term for uh, a governor, so to speak. It's like a civic term where a governor is sent in to dominate an area that has been occupied. So the Romans sent apostles, not like Paul, John, all, all, not, not spiritual apostles. They sent civic apostles, leaders, to go into Jerusalem to take it captive and set up Roman government. And they collected taxes and that kind of thing. So uh, ecclesia, Everybody, anybody know what that word means? Just shout it out. Church. It does not mean church. 
We know it as church because we've used it for so long because uh, the gospel writers used it. But ecclesia is really more of a senate. It's more of a town hall meeting. That's what, that's what that was. It was a governmental term used. And so what would happen is the gospel writers would use words that the people of the day would understand. That's why we shouldn't get so upset when in our language today, we try to break it down to people outside the church. Like we can't go outside the church and use words like uh, eschatological. What? We can't go outside the church and use words like Eucharist. We did the Eucharist at church on Sunday. You did what? Well, we took communion the Lord's Supper, you break it down into a simpler way. When he, Jesus, is on the cross saying, it is finished, he's like, he's saying this to communicate different things to different people. Number one, it was used in business. So the Romans, they would use this word the Greeks, they would use this word when they were doing a business transaction. I was writing out some bills uh, to be paid for my mom. I was writing some checks out from her account yesterday. And I've got this little thing in my office, and it's a little stamp, and it just, I stamp it, and it says, paid in full. All right? So when I write out a bill on the receipt or the invoice, uh, sorry, that they send me, I take that and I imprint paid in full, tetelestai. That's what that means. So that when whoever gets it on the other end and they get my check in there, I have tetelestied, if you will. I have paid in full my mom's account. When he's saying it's paid in full, these people are looking at that and they're going, wait, so there's a debt? There's a debt that I owe? There's a debt that I owe that's been paid in full? Like, they're, they're, they're pulling in like a banking type mentality. Like there's a debt, you owe it, but I've paid it in full. So when it says it is finished, the scripture says every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like every person has fallen short. You and I, we owe a debt. It's a sin debt. And at the cross, we see a couple of things. We see God's sincerity and we see the, the um, um, severity of sin. Those two things is what you see at the cross. We see the severity of sin. Sin is a serious thing, guys. We have dumbed sin down so much in our culture. It's bled into the church. We dumb sin down to where it's like, dude, we sin all the time and don't even think twice about it because we have lessened the severity of sin. Can I tell you something? Sin will send you to hell. I don't believe in hell. I don't care what you believe in. Like, if you don't believe in hell, rip every page out of this because you cannot believe in part of it and not all of it. Jesus said, you'll have all of me or none of me. And, well, he was talking about himself. Oh, my friend, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. What, you know, he is the word. He is this. This is him. And so, you know, when we look at that, at, there is a severe price to be paid, and you and I cannot pay it. Only he came to pay the price for our sin. So when these people are hearing, uh, when they're hearing, man, it's paid. Yeah. 
like my debt is paid, that means something to them. I don't know if you've ever, like, see, I met, Shay and I have paid off some of our debt. But I'm telling you what, when somebody else pays your debt off, it's a whole different feeling. There's a whole different level of feeling. If anybody wants to pay off the rest of my debt, y'all come talk to my wife today, right after church. It's a totally different feeling. And so when he's saying, tetelestai, it's finished. They know that, man, I have just received a pardon. It's also used in the judicial system. The sentence has been served. So when the, when the judge is commuting a sentence, when the judge is coming and getting them out, you know, you, you see in the movies where they come and they get them out, and it's like, man, somebody posted your bail. Woohoo! it's ready to go home. Or you see them, they're, they're getting out of prison. You know, I've had family in prison. I've been there when they were picked up. You know, you, it's just, I ain't even lying. It's just, like, it's just like in the movies. You're waiting outside and they come out, that, that big gate opens up and they walk out and they are so glad and they're like, is it gonna close? How fast can I run? You know, get in the car, let's drive away real fast. It is finished. You've served your sentence. But here's the good news about that. That's why this is the greatest story ever told. You don't even have to serve the sentence. I don't even have to serve the sentence. He just pays it in full. He serves the sentence himself. As a matter of fact, when he died in the tomb, the scripture says he goes to Gehenna. He goes to hell. He goes there. He's been there. There's not a place that he is not, you know. So he goes there and he takes our place for all of this. And then the third thing is it's a military term. And tetelestai, when the commanders in the army would use this, it's like, it's over, boys. It's over. Like, we've won. It's, it's V-Day, man. It's like, we have won the war. Dude, when he said, it is finished, every Roman soldier that was there, everyone who was in any facet of the military knew what he was saying. See, to the banker, it meant one thing. To the prisoner, it meant another thing. To the military person, that one phrase, it is finished, meant so many things, conveyed so many things to people. Just like when Jesus, when we say he loves us, oh, it means the same thing, but man, it means so many different things things for us because I didn't grow up where you grew up. I didn't go through what you went through. You didn't go through what I went through, but we all know that we've been purchased with a great price, that he loves us. And it's a beautiful thing when we hear rife, like it's finished. Like I don't have to struggle anymore. I don't have to worry about being inadequate anymore. I don't have to worry about working hard for the love of my Lord anymore. As a matter of fact, one of the things about that makes this the greatest story ever is that the, the Christian faith, the Christian faith is one of the only faiths that doesn't require anything of you when you come to it. Just come as you are. You don't have to do any penance. You don't have to do any penance. Guess what? It's still a beautiful thing once you become a Christian. Like, hey, we have an endless flow of grace and mercy. And when I mess up, guess what? And this is not to diss anybody's faith, all right? It's not to diss anybody's faith. But when I mess up, all I have to do is talk to my Lord. 
make that right. Get that right. Just, just have that conversation. I don't have to pull out my rosary and say 12 Hail Marys. I don't have to do that. I don't have to, I don't have to pay penance. I don't, I don't have to give a bigger offering next week because of something I did during the week. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because all that was taken care of at the cross. That's the beautiful thing. When we come to Jesus, we just come. That's all. And, and here's a, a beautiful thing about it. There's some believer's benefits that you and I have. Why is this the greatest story? Here's why. Number one, it's free. It's free. You don't have to do anything for it. Just take it, man. Just receive the love of the Lord. Number two, you got mercy. You know, mercy is not getting the things I do deserve. Like mercy, what, what happens is I deserve hell. I deserve to be eternally separated from God. I deserve the punishment for my stuff. Mercy is I don't get any of that because it's finished. He did all that for me. We get that from being in relationship with him. Number three, grace. Grace is sort of the opposite of that. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, but we get it. We, we betrayed him, you know? Well, I didn't betray him. I just, you know, no, every one of us has fallen short of God's glory. We've done things, we've said things, we've taught, uh, uh, thought things that have separated us from God. We don't deserve grace, but we get it because he loves us so much. Grace is heaven. You know, if, if mercy keeps us from eternally being separated, grace is what gets us to this place of heaven where he turns something just like beautiful in, in our life into something beautiful. And we get this great reward from being in relationship for him. How much have you invested so far? Nothing. And, and look what we've already got. We've already got grace. We've already got mercy. But we get to be part of the royal family. You know, the scripture says this. It says, you and I are a royal priesthood. Like it goes ahead and says things that blow my mind and, and literally it almost sounds like it's um, sacrilege. It almost sounds like it's heresy. But the scripture says this, that you and I are co-heirs with Christ. Come on, man. We are, you know, I'm gonna walk off the camera for just a second. Co-heirs? Co-heirs are like this, dude. Like, we sit right beside each other. Like, again, I'm telling you, it sounds sacrilegious and it sounds like blasphemous almost. But I didn't make it up and it's the scripture. I'm telling you like Paul told the Corinthians. He said, I tell you these things from the scripture. I'm telling you this from the scripture. The scripture says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Not subservient, that we're co-heirs with him. Like co means right beside each other. What he's got, I've got. The favor he has, I have. God doesn't love his only begotten son more than he loves me. Now listen, I'm just flat out telling you, I might love your daughter, but I don't love your daughter more than my daughter. 
I'll love her with a different kind of love. I love Savannah with agape love. I love Savannah with uh, store, uh, uh, storge love. That's a Greek word for family love. Like, I'll, I'll love your daughter with phileo love. That's friendly, brotherly love, like brother, sister, you know, friend love. The scripture says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Like, he loves me as much as he loves Jesus. That's so powerful. Like, we're part of a royal family. We, you and I, are like... We're, we're not normal people. I'm, I'm serious, dude. If you can get this, because a lot of people, they get this at a superficial level. But see, you can't get this today. You can't get all this today because we can't go into it. There's not enough time. You have to come back later for other teachings. Like, what does that mean to be part of a royal family? Well, it means that you get the, you, the, the ring of authority. It means that there's lots of stuff that go into uh, royal lineage. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. So we're part of a royal family. Not only that, but we find out what our purpose is, what our identity is. See, you and I are not made to get up in the morning, put our clothes on, go to work, serve in some, you know, crappy job that we don't want to be at, come home, get us a plate of spaghetti, lay back in the recliner, watch a couple of Netflix series, fall asleep, get up, and do that all over tomorrow. That is not our destiny. That is not your identity. And when you stick around long enough, not the end, not the end, but the the, the, the reel that shows after the credit, if you stick around long enough in your faith, you will find out what your identity is. You'll find out what your purpose is. You'll find out these kinds of things. He gives us that. When we come to him, he gives us 24-hour protection and 24-hour access. See, before the cross, you couldn't just bust up in the church anytime you wanted to. You couldn't just talk to God anytime you wanted to. You couldn't just offer sacrifice anytime you wanted to. But now that he has died for us, that, that you know, we talk about that veil that separated the outer holy uh place from the most holy place like nope that's done away I'm ripping that and now we can boldly approach the throne of grace we can just boldly talk to God anytime we want to it tears down all kind of religious stuff like I gotta be in a certain place at a certain time to pray I gotta pray a certain way I gotta pray in a certain position I gotta no you don't man you can go boldly before the throne room of grace anytime anywhere in any position that you want to amen So, he gives us the Holy Spirit. We just finished a series called Superpower. We get gifts? What? I'm just glad to be here. I get gifts? Yes. Not only do you get gifts, it's not just any gift. It is God himself. God, the create, there is no, this is why it's the greatest story. Buddha doesn't even profess to want to live inside of you. I've seen his little pot belly. He couldn't fit in my little body. But the creator of the universe who cannot be contained lives in me. And he lives in you in the form 
of Holy Spirit. And then this is the last time. There are gifts of the Spirit. And I'm telling you what, this is the greatest story. Why? Because we come into it with nothing and we get everything. It's one of the most beautiful ways to live if you don't live this way. Let me close it out for you, all right? Let's say this together from the top. The greatest contact with mankind was Jesus' incarnation. The greatest impact on mankind was Jesus' death and resurrection. Has he had an impact on you? Has he had an impact on you, man? Yeah, that's awesome. I want you to look at this. Pastor Rife, what am I to do with this today? Well, you better do something with it. Because for us as believers, we don't just get to hear the word and not do anything with it. We're called to be doers of the word. Number one, accept Jesus as your savior. Like, he's the savior of the world. He's the savior of the world, but is he your savior? Like, is he my savior? Accept him. Accept his sacrifice. This is the second thing. Make him Lord, make make him your Lord. Now I know in some of your traditions and in some of mine, I grew up with this. You know, how many of you want to accept the Lord, uh, Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? I I want to just clarify something. You don't accept Jesus as Lord. Now I, I know some of you probably, it's going to take you a minute and you might not even agree with me today. I'm just asking you, you go test it out and you ask Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't accept him, uh, as, as, uh, Lord. We don't, we accept him as savior. All right. He is the savior of the world, whether we accept him or not, because he saved the world and it's there. You have to accept him, but we can't accept him as Lord because he only becomes Lord when we make him Lord. Like, is he Lord of your marriage? Is he Lord of your family? Is he Lord over your career? Is he Lord over your, the stuff you own, like your car, your house? Like, are those your idols? Is that your stuff or everything? Everything I've got is his. All the money that I have in the bank is his. All of my cars are his. My house is his. He just lets me live there. And he, uh, you know, I live on the estate. And he's the Lord of the estate. So see, when he asks me to do something with what's his, I don't get in an argument with him because it's not mine to begin with. That's what lordship does. See, when I step into a career, I know I'm a clergy. I know I'm a pastor. But when I stepped into a career, I made him Lord of my life. All right, listen, I'm fixing to go somewhere with it. See, I I wasn't always a pastor. But when I served in the retail world, because he was Lord of my life, this is how I interacted. I walked into the place of business. I want a job here. Here's our job. That's not going to work for me. Why is that not going to work? See, we look at it the other way around. Who are you to tell the company? Who are you to tell the company what what you're going to do and what you're not going to do? Like, I told them that's not going to work for me. And I thanked them and I walked out. And I got a call a few days later and they asked me to come back. 
all right? But I had, I had written that job off. What was, my, what was my thing? Well, they wanted me to work all these crazy, ungodly hours. And I was a college student, and they knew we're going to have this fresh crop of college students coming in, and they, they just need money. They're broke as all get out. They'll work all the, you know, crappy hours. They didn't get it with me. I told them, I said, I can't work Sundays because I, I go to church and I worship my Lord on that day. All right, and they're like, well, you're going to have to work. You know, you're going to have to work every Sunday. This job is not for me. Thank you so much for your time. This job's not for me. But I told them, there's, there's these days I'm not going to work. And it came back around. And, you know, I'm not a jerk or anything. And they came, when they called me back, they said, well, will you not ever work on Sunday? And I said, it's, you know, I should have been a little more, I, I'm not a jerk or anything. And I'm like, I'm not religious. Like, I can work some. I can't do it every week. Do you know what? I told them that I would work Sundays occasionally. And in my four years of working there while I was in college, I think I may have worked two Sundays. Two Sundays. And But the point that I'm making is because he's Lord of my life, he's Lord of my occupation, he's Lord of my career. So many times, man, we want God to bless our career but we've not made him Lord of our career. We're wanting the fullness of his benefit without making him Lord. I'm telling you what, when you make Jesus your Lord and you give him every possible part of your life, you watch God's blessing explode in that area of your life. And then here's the last thing. Tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about your decision. If you accept the Lord today, I want you to tell somebody about it. If you decide to make the God, uh, Jesus Lord of your life, or maybe you haven't made him Lord of everything, sit down with somebody like my dad did with my family that day. And he said, listen, we're going to make him Lord over our life. We're, gonna, we're not going to do these things anymore. And so I was like, are we not going to go to our, like that other family was our best friend's. That they were our best friends. Are we breaking up? Are we not going to be able to hang out with them? No, we're still going. We're still going to the parties. All right, dude. You know, we're still going to the parties. Yes, but we're not going to drink. To the day that both of those friends died, to the day that, that Reed Farmer and Willow Dean Farmer died, they were my family's best friends. My parents, they stood up for their lordship. They still love them. They, listen, they, their, their friends never came to church. I think Willadine might have come once, but they didn't join the church that my mom and dad went to. And they lived a hard, 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 hard life. But do you know what? Every time they needed something and prayer, who did they come to? my parents because they were Jesus to them and when Reed was in his bed dying my dad said his real name was Reed but we called him Reed Big Reed and my dad said Reed I need to talk to you you're getting ready to leave this world do you know Jesus and he led him to the Lord right there 
It might not happen the same day it happens for you, but you'll be a witness. Tell somebody about your decision. And we're going to sing this last song. And we're just going to end on this. Afterwards, our prayer team is going to be down front if you want to pray about anything. But I want to lead you through a prayer right now. In a crowd like this, I would venture to say that at least 95% to 97% of you are saved. You're redeemed. You've asked Jesus somewhere. You've asked Jesus and you really meant it to save you from your sins. But I would guarantee you in this crowd that it's a much larger percentage in lower of people that you've not really made him the Lord of your life. Like you're saved, you're going to heaven, but you're going at like uh, the base rate, if, if, if you catch my drift. Like you're not, you're not going in the fullness of your identity. You're not going in the fullness of the gifts. You're not going in the fullness of the power of his strength. You're not going with, with all of that. You're not going in the fullness of the power of who you could really be out there. That comes with making him Lord and saying, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you everything. So I want you to stand with me. And I just want us to pray a prayer of dedication. And here's one thing that I will not ask you to do. I will not ask you to pray a prayer of lordship. Some pastors may do that. I'm not going to ask you to do that. I am going to pray about that. But at the end of the day, that's something that a prayer doesn't do for you. That comes through action. Like the first one is what words do because you're praying it and you're believing it. But lordship is, is, is backed up by evidence of action. And so when he becomes Lord of your life, everything that you have becomes his and you start living that way. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you took every person in this room who wants to be taken and you've received them into the body of Christ and that you've saved us, Lord. And if there's anybody that is in here today that you're hearing my voice, I want you, if you are at a place where it's like, man, I want, to, I want to dedicate my life to God. You don't have to know everything there is to know. None of us in this room, including myself, know everything there is to know. All you need to know is that God loves you and he accepts you where you are. And it does not matter what your past looks like. In a few minutes, we're going to sing this song. He turned graves into gardens. Like, in other words, something that's dead and you've been in places where it's like, man, there's no way God can, you know, can want somebody like me. You're exactly who he wants because there are people that he needs you to use your story of transformation. Where he took your grave and he turned it into this beautiful garden. He took, you know, this wreck of a person and turned you into this powerful witness for him. Lord, right now I accept you as, as Savior. Jesus, come, forgive me of my sin. The things, God, that I can remember and those that I can't even remember, God. Save me. Make me whole. And that Greek word that Pastor was telling us about, it is finished. God, come complete me. Finish me. Pay my debt. Fill me to the very top of the fullest that I can be. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. And this is what I'm asking you to do now. 
I'm asking you to consider the parts of your world where it's like, you know, right, is this a guilt trip? No, man, it's not a guilt trip. If he's Lord, he's Lord. If he's not, he's not. What are you going to do with that? Because you cannot call him Lord if he is not Lord. So, Lord, I just ask us right now to consider all the parts of our world that we may not have released to you and given you complete say in. Give us complete owner, give you complete ownership of those areas. God, we lay it down right now at your feet. And we say, God, come, please walk into every part of my life. Walk into my business, Lord. Walk into my business portfolio, God. Walk into my career, Lord. Walk into my marriage, God. Walk into my friendships, Lord. Yeah, because sometimes we keep him out of those, man. We don't invite him to those parties. We don't invite him to those conversations. No, let him walk into your friendships. Let him walk into your friendships. Let him walk into your health. Give him lordship over every part of you. And God, right now, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit that will reside inside of us, will go with us out of this place. And you'll continue to have you'll continue to have conversations with us about areas that we've not released to you, God. And I can tell you this, I can tell you this as a church. God is not going to beat you down to try to get you to turn that over. He'll, he'll gently speak to you. He'll gently tap on your shoulder. He'll gently nudge you. And if at any point you just go, nope, not doing it, he will certainly step back from that area of your life. I'm just telling you, man, you do not want the presence of God to step back from a part of your life. You want him in every part because that's where the blessing of the Lord comes from.